You are listening to the Evolution Exchange Podcast Australia, a melting pot of ideas and inspiration shared by some of the most successful tech leaders in Australia. I'm Nigel, I help connect businesses with tech talent, and today I'm your host. I'd like to say a big thank you to everyone for joining me today to discuss creating high performance teams. Uh, my name is Nigel and I specialize in recruiting contract software engineers in the Melbourne t- tech market. I'm passionate about building lasting relationships with my clients and with my candidates and seeing t- teams thrive by connecting the right people. So firstly, before we begin, if everyone would like to introduce themselves, Sagar, if, if you could start. Yeah, sure. So yeah, as you know, my name is Sagar. Um, I'm one of the development team lead at Telstra Health, um, looking after virtual care solution, uh, vertical of it. And given what's happening around the world, virtual care has never been important before. It's now really critical uh, more than ever before. Uh, so we got a range of different products which I look after. Uh, and as a passion, I'm passionate about learning new stuff as everyone does, um, but more so than how I can put that into good use. Um, and that's why I'm really looking forward to taking away some good pointers from the experts in the industry today. And I think that's me in a nutshell. Perfect. Dan? Uh, yeah, I'm Dan Harper. Uh, I'm currently the CTO at homes.com.au. Um, which is in kind of prop tech real estate se- sector. Uh, I've been in tech for about 25 years or something like that. There's lots of few gray hairs yeah, here and there. Uh, getting more as the years go on. That means I'm getting wiser, I tell people. Um, some people disagree with me, but that's what I'm sticking to. Um, yeah, I've probably worked in all sorts of different areas over my career um, around tech. I've kind of started in kind of doing software engineering support um system admin back in the day when dev and ops were separate um and then into leadership uh, i've done kind of consulting startups uh, and then into kind of leadership roles where i've kind of led uh, teams and initiatives at myb and zero and rea group and now where i am now lovely ragu sure yep uh, i'm Raghuendra. Uh, friends call me Raghu. That's much simpler to pronounce as well. And uh, I'm currently working as manager for applications development in the Victorian Electric Commission. I've been there for the past uh, two years now almost. And uh, before that, I was uh, working as development lead at Hexagon, or uh, also referred as Intergraph. I don't know if you have heard about Intergraph. I used to, um, I used to develop and customize the applications for the emergency response systems like the police, fire, and the ambulance services. I coming to hobbies, I like playing cricket and uh, table tennis. And, uh, I, I, I like going on long drives. Unfortunately, last two years, it's not been the case, but a long drive is something which I'm looking forward to. And uh, last but not least, Rich. Hey, guys. <laughs> I'm... Um... I'm Richard. I'm a development manager in uh, Domain's agent solutions team. Um, We provide an integrated suite of solutions to help real estate agents run their businesses. Um, I'm passionate about building software and 
particularly solving problems in the real world that have kind of an impact in real places, real people. Um, and uh, I've also been working in tech in Melbourne for sort of a bit over 20 years, done consult, started out in consulting. Um, and I've had leadership roles in the last few years um, before Domain at, at AGL and Metro Trains Melbourne, um, which were very different experiences, but all very interesting. Um, and uh, the other thing I'm really passionate about, other than building software, is um, all things video games um, from, from the 80s through, through to now. Um, I'm a bit mad. All right, perfect. All, awesome introductions, guys. Um, let's uh, get into the, the heart of the matter then. Um, obviously, the topic is creating high-performance teams. Um, Sagar, you, you had had your question, uh, if you'd like to introduce that uh, and then uh, start with the answers. Yeah, sure. Sounds good. So, in my experience, I've always faced this challenge and that's why I wanted to get some ideas around uh, what do you guys think? How would you identify uh, challenges or barriers uh, faced by the high-performing team? It, and this is in both phases, while creating a high-performing team and while you have already established high-performing team, what are the challenges that you can identify beforehand? And what is it that you would go about mitigating them? Perfect. Do, do you someone want to take a, a go at that to start or do you want, do you want to go yourself Sagar? I guess maybe I'll just pick up on the um like the the building the high performing team because I think that's a really good sort of call out you know not many leaders start out with high performing teams like you have to be pretty fortunate just to, to end up with that by default so um you know I think all teams are really different and they they all have different strengths and weaknesses um, and just because you've built a high-performing high team, you know, one time in one context, that doesn't doesn't mean that doing the same thing again is going to have the same results. I think, you know, uh, what you need to do to build a specific high-performing team really depends on, you know, that team and what the strengths and weaknesses are and what, what the the right um, approach is for that, that team. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of curious, what, you know, for the, the other guys here, like what... what um, you know what experience have you had i guess with particular um context in terms of you know approaching moving things forward sure yeah I, I and i think you know Sagar, to get back at that question specifically about the challenges and barriers um i personally feel that uh, the key challenge is communication and not just communication about uh, within the team it's about the communication on what is the team goal what are we uh, trying to achieve together? And everyone in the team should be clear on, you know, what is it that they are doing and what is the importance of it and how it is eventually contributing to the organization's success. And if they don't have that vision on what they are doing, I think um, that that's that, that will be a difficult task for them to associate with the organization. Yep, that's a good point. Okay, and I suppose in terms of like communication, how how would you guys mitigate that um, as as part of a team? Is that using you know certain t tech tools like Slack, um, or or how do you ensure that the communication is there? I think 
um, from my experience, communication is, is absolutely a symptom of one of the biggest challenges, which is culture, I think. And, and even the influence that previous uh, team cultures, if you're coming in, like taking on a new team, they're going to have particular cultures already in place. And you also have organizational culture as well, I think, which impacts teams. Um, and I would say like, from what I've seen, there's, there, there is, seems to be a pattern where teams that uh, don't communicate as openly or have a low kind of level of trust or, and maybe that's caused by different things. There's, there's been some examples I've seen where certain cultural elements, I think, or anti-patterns probably like uh, bring out those kind of symptoms. And I think as a leader, it's important to be able to try to recognize root causes from symptoms and then try to dive into it. So for example, like with communication, some things that could be at play are kind of like a culture of either a not wanting to fail kind of culture. It can be like, you know, or even psychological safety might be a cultural element that kind of stops people communicating. Um, but I think, yeah, it's, it's important for the leader to be able to identify some of those patterns and be able to, even if, it's absolutely true that not everything you do is going to work in all circumstances. Um, but definitely I think like trying to find those things that are behind it, like why do individuals feel not comfortable to be able to communicate, to be able to unlock that and be able to pick it apart and try to deal with core issues, I think is really important. Yeah, I totally agree. And, um, you know, I, th I, th I think what you're saying about communication, the difficult thing, like in a high-performing team, often the communication tends to be in the open and that, that's kind of an attribute that those sort of teams have. But when you're trying to um, understand what is and isn't working, you know, it's maybe a lot of the communication is actually closed, right, and it's going point to point or between particular individuals or back channels that maybe you're not aware of and it can be really hard to, to figure out um, what the actual communica communication patterns of the team are um, to really kind of prompt and, um, you know, nudge a little bit in the, the direction towards openness. Okay, as well as, as well as any other, as well as challenges that, that you'd identify um, and how else, as well as would you mitigate them? Obviously, if you touched on communication across teams. Is, is there anything else that anyone else uh, has identified? I think for me, like once you've got the high performing team, I think a lot of the challenges come from often the organization, the team exists within. Um, and, you know, for not not the wrong sort of reasons, it's just the reality of big, big companies, right? So a lot of it's, you know, maybe lack of autonomy because of governance or security or compliance or just misaligned priorities between different teams in the organization. Um, so, you know, the team can't remove those roadblocks for themselves necessarily. So that's kind of where, as the leader, you have to step in and, and try and, um, you know, follow through and, and sort of practice servant leadership and try and remove some of those hurdles that the team is facing. Um, and I guess for me, like a couple of techniques that work well there is, you know, you know using data, coming, coming to the, the discussion with data and say, you know, this is what, this is why we can't succeed or the team can't progress or this is what it's costing us um, or, you know, potentially bringing that stakeholder that needs to help remove the roadblock to the team and say, you know, he, he, team, you know, join, join the dots together and say, you know, can you become an enabler rather than a blocker for, for the thing that needs to happen here?
that uh, that's actually interesting, like talking about the measure. Um, sometimes I've seen teams have measuring as actually a barrier to try and overcome, to actually be okay with measuring, um, particularly teams that are probably uh, maybe not at a high performing stage right now or have some kind of level of dysfunction, whether it's, you know, lack of trust, particularly that kind of thing. Like people don't want to measure. They don't want to say, they don't want to also put outside the team how they're currently performing. Mm -hmm. I think there can be lots of barriers like that that the team members can find hard and but we, we've probably seen that measuring enables teams to get better and and being able to see actually how things are uh and it can also be releasing for people too because it's like we can talk to these metrics and tell people the story of what's happening in the team um but i have seen it be a, a barrier before for people to just be okay or comfortable with that and that's a good point just there. Um, so just to summarize all of it. So we are just saying, of course, it is really important nowadays, the communication part, because we are not physically together in the office and whatnot. Uh, so that's, of course, it's becoming like a critical part of uh, the successful team and whatnot. Other than communication, do you guys think, is there anything else that we should be on the lookout for um, even before we hit that barrier? Um, is it like uh, individual's behavior or the throughput of the team is not up to measure? What would you guys think the other measures could be? I, th I think the other one that comes to mind for me is like shared ownership. Like that's an attribute that you want to move towards is it like the team um, becomes more high performing or is generally present. Um, and shared ownership means you know owning the outcome as a group and not being sort of focused on what your role is specifically and being prepared to jump in and you know stretch outside of your boundaries and you know unblock other people and um, commit to the success of everyone as opposed to just yourself um, and that's a difficult one to to influence a lot of the time right it, it's it's really kind of about in my experience at least it's kind of about showing up and setting the example of how we can think about things and you know could could we try x and sort of you know gently influencing a little bit um i'm uh, interested if you guys have any other techniques that work but um, it's a tricky one completely agree with you richard on that and i also one other thing which i try and do is assuring that we are on the right path making sure that we always show that this is the end goal we are going to and if we look at ourselves, this is how we are progressing towards that. We are not stuck at any point or even if there is interdependency between teams together, this team is at this point and this team is at this point together. When we combine the dot, this is where we'll get it to. So these kind of, uh, you know, meetings between the groups or between the teams help them, uh, you know, uh, have the confidence that, yes, we are going on the right track and also keeps them motivated. Yep, some, some brilliant points raised there on, on that question, guys. Um, I, I might move on to the, to the next question, um, which is Dan's, unless anyone else has, I suppose, anything further on, on that previous topic. No. All right, Dan, yeah, if, if you want to introduce your question. Yeah, so my question is, uh, what behaviours and small interactions encourage and promote a high-performing team? um it's it actually reminded me your follow-on question just before sega about how do you identify things that might be coming up as barriers i i tend to think 
um, the strengths of of engineering leaders can like it's kind of your job to look forward to a degree right and I think the concept of like small interactions and behaviors that are happening at this current point in time are things that can go in different directions you know and and I think the engineering leaders kind of looking at these small interactions to go what what am I seeing today that I think is going to lead towards a high-performing team and and that might be I there's a couple of ways I think about it one is kind of like a um a symptom or signs that you can see within a team like what is the team doing in their behavior and their culture um like communication was one we mentioned and then if you go a little bit wider it might be psychological safety and collaboration um even even measuring success what we talked about before and then also probably even giving feedback to people like people in the team being comfortable giving feedback to each other uh that's also kind of important so that those kind of signs i think are uh as a leader, I guess I guess this question kind of hooks in to what the leader is doing, I suppose, and what they're seeing and what they should take action on, I guess, or adjust or tweak. Um, and I, th I think those signs are kind of pointers to say, okay, this is like something could be happening here. I might need to go in here and set a different expectation or to facilitate something here or, um, you know, maybe have hard conversations with some people is, is kind of what I thought, but interested to see what you guys think about that. I think that's that's an interesting, like, um, thinking, when I was thinking about the question, I was thinking more about, you know, the small interactions that you can have, but I think it's a great point about, like, what are the small things that you can pick up on as a leader as well, right, in terms of, you know, what's going on with the team. Um, I think one of the things there that comes to my mind is, um, you know, when a team kind of assumes that there's certain boundaries on, on what's possible or, or what um, good looks like, um, like that's um, when you hear things like that that's obviously a moment when you can step in and say hey you know maybe it's not quite as limited as you think it is like what if we did x y or z just ex ex sort of expand the solution space a little bit um, and I think the you, you mentioned the psychological safety I think that's the other really important one right is um, it goes back to communication ultimately but um, you know what are, it's a hard one because it's it's really difficult to build it builds over time and it has to be maintained it doesn't just stay static and it can be damaged really easily as well so um it is a case again of kind of showing up and doing the small things with the team and leading by example showing how to tackle problems receive feedback how to listen um and the way that we approach problems as a group um yeah I think psychological safety is important and, and it also goes to the bigger scale, like at the team level, like can we fail as a team um, safely and is that supported by the wider organisation? Like how does the organisation actually think about that? Is that supported or is it criticised? Um, is really important. I just want to add one point to Richard on the psychological uh, point. Uh, it is important that we have those conversations as well. Not, not talking about it uh, creates much bigger damage than uh, talking about it. And one thing which I try and uh, uh, encourage my team is when they're really feeling stressed or when they're having a bad day, I ask them to just take the day off, you know, come back fresh in the morning and then you know, think about it in a, in a different way. Or probably on a Friday afternoon or a Friday evening, you know, log off early, spend time with your family, go out for, uh, for what your hobbies are. This helps uh, in building or uh, energizing back and then coming back to the office with a fresh mind. Yep, there are 
fairly good points around there. I completely agree with Raghu and Rich there. Uh, one thing that I would like to add on top of it is uh, what I've been, I mean, I'm going to address the second half of your question where how you can actually, the little con convos that might encourage your team and whatnot, right? Um, so in my experience, what I've been doing is I've been following a model called SPI. I don't know if everyone here knows about it. So it stands for Situation Behavior Impact. Um, and initially, well, this is this came out of uh, some sort of a brainstorming that I was doing with my one manager. Initially, it felt like uh, probably it's not a good tool, but then when I started practicing this more and more, I, I feel like this comes in really handy day in day out. So basically, it will help you give you give your teammates instantaneous or like short term feedback, whether it's uh, like a pra you are praising them or if it's a constructive feedback. Right. So basically, all in a nutshell, all it is is you be very objective rather than subjective. You just address to a specific scenario when the situation happened. For example, if some one of your team member was giving a presentation to a broader team or the business stakeholders, say yesterday, you address that specifically that, okay, yesterday's morning meeting with the stakeholders, you did certain thing. And then what was the impact of that? whether it's a negative or positive, but if you present it in that way, it doesn't come across like, like a personal attack on someone. And that that way I found that because that, that was one of the challenges that I figured out in the past that how do you actually give constructive feedback to a team member without them feeling negative about it? And I've never found any solution so far, but this concept seems to be working all right. And once you start practicing that, it, you get better at it. And it's not just for the team member, this actually works better for your, in your personal life as well, like with your friends or family, whatnot, except your spouse and girlfriends, of course. But <laughs> so yeah, so that's just one little two cents from my side. I, I totally agree with that, Sega. Like it's, because um, psychological safety in, in particular, like you can have one person in a team who's, constantly kind of eroding um, that safety and, and, you know, being able to give them effective feedback about the, the impact that behavior might be having is is crucial, right? Yeah, it's one, one interesting thing I find about psychological safety, it'd be interesting to see what you guys think, but um, there absolutely needs to be psychological safety. But I guess there's like this idea of, um, I have been told, I don't know, I don't know if I've totally unpicked why some people tell me this, but I have been told before, like you actually set like a really high expectation of performance and, and I never really consciously, I don't think did it, but I, know, I guess I do have it. And sometimes I think um, one thing that bugs me, maybe this is how it's all interlinked for me. One thing that is a bugbear for me is to see teams that are like going, yeah, we've made it. Like we're as good as we can be. Um, that kind of bugs me. So I'm like, no, nah, that's, like I, I see high performing as this elusive goal <clears throat> that you'll never actually get to, you know, so it's, it, there's always somewhere you can go to, there's always a way to do better or improve, or, you know, we, we never really get there. Um, how, how do you guys think that those expectations of high performance, which also might mean that setting that expectation means you're going to have to have hard conversations with team members about their performance. Um, how do you guys think that interlinks or 
combines with like a space for psychological safety? Do you think there's kind of a conflict there or do you think it's in harmony? Uh, I'll just add one point uh, there. Um, I, I guess you're right. I mean, what I try and communicate uh, in these things is you reach 100 and then I would say that that is now your expectation. And then now we are aiming for 120. So if that is additional stress and if it impacts psychological uh, impact, we still are achieving our 100. It is to stretch cold for the team whether we can go to 120 or not. But if we are consistently achieving 100, then that means that mark is, we have to set a rebase to that mark. So that, that's something which I try and communicate to the team saying that, hey, we have, yes, we have achieved what we wanted to come, you know, now it's time to extend the bar saying that we can achieve much bigger uh, items. Yeah, th I think for me, like a high performing team should be the, like they should be the ones raising that bar ultimately. Um, and I hadn't really ever thought about the interplay with psychological safety. It's interesting, right? Um, I think if the team has gotten to the point where they're raising their own bar, then they can probably find psychological safety anyway. But, you know, if they're not quite there yet, then, yeah, it could be an Im impedance. But, and you probably need to address the, you know, the kind of like what I was saying before about, you know, the boundary of the expectations, like we need to be able to look beyond those. Um, so like that would that would be probably the, the area to focus on, I, I would feel. It's an interesting thought. De definitely, yeah. Uh, so, some really good points there raised, um, particularly like the, uh, I suppose psychological safety. I think everyone's kind of touched on that a lot. I think that's you know so important um, in any team, especially a team that's achieving or tr trying to become high performing. Um, so yeah, that's uh, a, a, ver a very good point. Um, does any any further? I suppose on that question, or, or will we proceed to the next one? Yeah, Raghu, your I question. Think just, uh, I think you flipped the page there. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll uh, give the question and, and also share my thoughts on it. Uh, I'll take a couple of minutes and then uh, you know, would like to have your opinions about it as well. Uh, so the question is um, how to make the most of high-performing individuals within the high-performing team environment. And... Uh, First, you know, yes, we have been talking a lot about high performance, but uh, everybody has a different interpretation of what high performance individual is. Everybody will have a different definition of it. And what my definition of it, if I would say, is uh, anybody who is good at what they are currently doing, uh, be it the technology, .NET, Java, testing, whatever they are doing, they are good at it, and and they are also, you know, willing to take bigger challenges and. Uh, perform by putting the organization interest first rather than their personal choices. That's that's how I feel um, they are a high performing individual. And when these individuals are part of a team and what I encourage them to do is not just about completing their work or uh, uh, you know, just finishing off their tasks, but also work with others in the group, share their knowledge. Uh, I also encourage uh, participation in design reviews or core review sessions, share ideas within the team. Uh, like we discussed, have those stretch goals within the team so that they are also developing their interpersonal skills. Also, you know, um, they are growing their leadership skills for, for the future, uh, being a future leader as well. 
and in uh, on the other way uh, it also helps the team understand what are all different ideas uh, which which these high performance individuals are coming up with and how they can uh, use that within their uh, day to day work and um, and lastly another important aspect which i emphasize within the group is Uh, especially leaving the personal egos out of the discussions it is very easy to get the emotions into it and then uh, especially in the code reviews and design reviews uh, there is your uh, there is a right way of doing it for the best interest of the organization it is not your way or it is not my way so and i would like to hear your thoughts about it as well for um for me i like to think about this is when i'm kind of mentoring someone or coaching them career wise um you know i i see a great success if someone not only achieves like the next role but if if that next role is outside the company it's like i don't i don't care that's great it's awesome like celebrate that this person has been growing achieving these great things and is ready for the next step um so, sometimes like your organization might not have the right fit for what they need next or something like that yes it's all good um i what what speaks to me about that is kind of like a as a leader i think a win 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 kind of situation is very important to establish so that you've got um an individual's goals and growth you've got the team kind of alignment with with their goals and the company and and their alignment i think if you can align all those things as a leader uh that should mean that you can create these spaces for high performing individuals to perform and to grow and to move to those next roles um at the same time as they're winning for the team and the company like that's all kind of lined up and and well and sometimes it can be a challenge depending on the environment or or that kind of thing um but i usually find too like holding people loosely is also a really good method that probably weaves into that like if their if their career growth or their performance is better to be expressed like in a different team um say within the organization I I find it kind of um you know if you let if you let people move and grow um you know people come to you wanting to learn and grow and and move into your space so I find it kind of evens out you know sometimes I see uh managers or leaders kind of a bit freaked out about it like no you can't go I've got this deliverable you kind of forced to let you go you know um but there's multiple ways I think of a leader being able to offset the risk around that but just having that dynamic i think is is really important and people can then feel like oh the environment i'm in not only is high performing but i'm able to perform at my best and grow and continue to raise the bar um because there's these things around me that enable me i think it's important probably to be attentive to that as a leader and try to set that up for people yeah completely agree with dan there as well uh, just a couple of points on that or uh, will be so should so my question the counter question would be should we just rely on individual high performing members of the team or should we then aim for disallowing certain information that they possess across the team so that every individual is a high performing because it's just my personal opinion that it's not always fair on one or two people out of five or 10 people who are high performing always to then always rely on them to get certain things done that will actually gives the other team that sense uh that they can actually get away without being responsible for certain things 
and the other one or two individuals who are really high performing, uh, we don't really want to put them under, you know, throw under the bus always, all the time, because sooner or later that will create kind of negative impact on them at least. And that's that's high level, it's not good for the health of the entire team. That's probably more what my perspective is. So what I would rather suggest is to then, rather than having one or two individual high-performing members of the team, as a leader, we should always be focused on creating a team as a whole, as a high-performing, right? So yeah, there might be certain scenarios where it's not always uh, feasible to desilo that information from that one particular member who's been working for the organization for a longer time. They know more about the products and technology than the rest of them who are relatively newer people. But eventually, I think it will give us good return if we desilo that information and distribute across evenly as soon as possible rather than you know dealing further. Um, that will give two different points that it won't always keep the high performing member under pressure. And at the same time, you are also bringing the new talent into the same position of that individual who is performing high in the team. Um, I don't know how to achieve that, but that's what I'm thinking that probably could be, you know, one of the approach as well. I, I really like the way that, I agree with all of that saga as well, but I, I like the way that you put it, Dan, of like the win-win-win, like the, the the individual as an individual and within the team and then within the organization. And I think splitting it into like, I, I think working with that person one-on-one -on -one is a really good idea and it's kind of building their self-awareness about their capabilities is important so that they know they have kind of a model of like, here's the things I'm really good at, here's where I can grow. And that, that sort of takes you outside the team, right? Of, you know, what can we do as a win outside the team? You know, utilizing the strengths, but also building. Um, but then, you know, within the team, how can that person, um, you know, coach and mentor and, and sort of even the load to what you were saying, Sagar, so it's not concentrated in specific individuals and the team becomes more resilient overall um, and set up for success. And, um, the other thought I had is that, you know, we can get, you know, in a technical business, we can kind of get carried away thinking about high performing individuals as, you know, technical skills, deep technical skills or something like that. But I think, you know, for me, thought leadership is a big one. Like if you've got a great culture in a team, that could that could be down to a couple of individuals in that team that are really setting the scene for what, what good looks like. And, you know, how can you leverage that in other teams, you know, having them involved outside of the, the boundary that they're in. Um, and something we've been talking about lately is like this idea of glue work, um, which is a term I heard recently. Um, but like someone who does all of the bits and pieces that are like unblocking the team and moving things forward, like that's an awesome skill as well. And it doesn't get enough recognition. Like how can you, um, how can that person help other people in the team to sort of start picking up those pieces too? And how could they do more of that outside? Like, um, yeah. Great ideas there, Richard. Uh, if I may follow up on that, given that we are running sprint after sprint, user story after user story in, in the current sprint world or scrum world, um, have you seen uh, opportunities where we can uh, put people like, like that uh, who can independently uh, work uh, on those global? I, I, 
I think it's a hard one, right? Like it's almost difficult to define what glue work is. Like you know it when you see it, um, and and that's why I think it doesn't get enough recognition. So I think it's almost a cultural thing at the crux of it, um, and that's why I think if you can get that person to be a little bit more self-aware, then they will be better at coaching other people in the team to take the same behaviour, right? And ultimately, that's what we want is you know um, to have more people to have the same kind of behaviour and the, the culture becomes more consistent across the team as opposed to concentrated in individuals that kind of uphold, you know, the way things should run. Yeah, I, I've had seen some interesting dynamics with teams where, um, like te teams that can self-correct, I guess, like try to explain the concept I've seen. I think they... I've worked at this team once before where you had someone whose career growth and, and performance objectives were kind of outside the team. You know, they were really gunning for a role that um, was still within the organization and still very valuable. But um, you could even call some of it kind of glue work, right? That their, their kind of focus in where they wanted to grow was in this space. Um, what was interesting about that team was the person that need, wanted to really push hard and grow in this space. Um, they they sort of didn't do their core role in the team as well as they could have otherwise done because they weren't really focused on that. They're kind of like, I already know how to do that and I can do it, but I'm really focused on this and I spend some time on this, right? What I noticed in this particular team was the team counterbalanced that um, kind of I don't know if it was natural subconscious or something. I don't know. It was a high-performing team. I would call it high-performing. Um, they they picked up the slack for that person in that area and it enabled that individual to kind of grow and achieve that goal, which they also brought a lot of other benefits to the team. Um, you know, like they were a really strong representative of culture and, and improving culture and collaboration. So that was one particular thing they brought to the team, which was quite strong. Um, but it was interesting to see the team kind of pick up slack for someone who wanted to grow in this certain direction, like they supported each other to grow. Um, I thought that was like a really interesting. I think about it a lot sometimes when I uh, think about some of these dynamics about how a high-performing individual interacts with the team and how you create that win-win, you know, kind of thing. Um, and it would look different, I think, if, um, you know, I, th I think the definition of high-performing um, you could say maybe that that team as a unit, maybe like they they were kind of handicapped a little bit because you know they had to pick up slack for someone and that kind of thing. So they didn't have every member of the team pushing and performing at the highest potential for the role they were asked to fulfill in the team. You know, like that would have been this perfect alignment of people in their roles performing high. Uh, instead, you kind of had this offshoot, and but the team kind of moved around it and worked with it. Um, so I, I would still consider that high performing, even though it probably wasn't at its very highest, but for those individuals and it, keeping in mind their individual goals and growth and all that kind of stuff, it fulfilled a lot of these win-wins plus still had a high performing team. Uh, but I guess I, I have seen sometimes other leaders like be maybe more concerned about the not reaching the highest, highest level of performance with that kind of team. Because they would look at it and go, oh, we're not, we don't have this thing covered. We're kind of just making do because this person's off growing in this way. Uh, yeah, it's kind of interesting. As a leader, I guess it, well, I suppose for me, for me personally, I do have these hierarchies of, or matrix, I suppose, if you like, of different dimensions in a team and its health and its performance and all that stuff. And 
you're kind of trying to balance out these different aspects like performance with safety, with, you know, collaboration. Like if you're heavy on collaboration communication, that can take time. Some people might look at that and go, oh, engineers aren't coding. No, oh, you know, like I'm not comfortable with that. We're not outputting, not delivering or whatever. But so I think you're trying to always balance these things and trying to get the highest performance you can, but also like with these other things to take care of. Mm. I think that's about having trust in the team, right? Like by def I, I think I like your definition of like a high performing team from the outside looks like a team that can kind of solve their own problems and find their own um, way to balance things. And if, if, you know, to your point, like that's a little bit of an unusual uh, way to share the work, but if it's not actively dysfunctional from the outside, then, you know, who, who are we to argue with it in some ways? Like just cause it doesn't fit the mold of exactly what we think normal looks like. Um, I think the other thing that you pointed out, which is totally valid as well, is, you know, glue, glue work, not always a universal good if it means someone is actively not doing what they should be doing. You know, if the team can work around that, as you said, then great. But, you know, it, it could go the other way too. So that's a totally um, valid point, I think. Yeah, so, so, some, some good discussion there for sure, guys. Um, very insightful again. Um, I suppose we'll move on then to the final question, uh, which is Rich's this time. Uh, so, yeah, uh, Rich, if, if you'd like to introduce your question. Yeah, cool. So, so my question is, you know, in, in the current competitive market for engineering talent that we find ourselves in, um, what are some good strategies for re retaining long-lived, high-performing teams? Um, I, I think for me, like, you know, there's obviously some real basic things that we have to get, or we should we should be getting right anyway, right? Which is, you know, having a pleasant work environment, an inclusive culture, treating people fairly, and um, being trustworthy when we deal with our people, and being empathetic to people's unique situations. Like they're all kind of just basic table stakes for for running a good business. Um, but I think beyond that, for me, like where my head goes is, you know, really having a good understanding of of what your um, unique strengths and weaknesses are as a, as a, as a business or an organization. Um, and, it, and it's going to be different for every organization, right? No one's going to tick all the boxes across the board. It might be an amazing work environment with great people, or maybe it's interesting technology, or, you know, you've got maybe great autonomy that allows for high performing teams. Not every organization does. Um, you might be running an important service, which has a lot of impact in the community or maybe great pay or, flexibility like it's all going to be different but like what's your unique flavor of that i think it's important to really have a good understanding um and, and then be building those relationships with people as individuals to sort of understand what their story is where they want to go in terms of their their goals both within the organization and beyond um to kind of connect those two things together right like what's our unique proposition and and how does that relate to you as an individual in terms of your purpose because i think for me, it's it's all about purpose. Like that's what keep keeps people engaged in, you know, being being in a workplace and staying there long term. Um, yeah, that's sort of my opening thoughts. Yeah, I, I was quite. It's quite interesting. Like thinking about what one dynamic I've seen is that engineers who like to grow and perform at their best and continually push the bar for themselves. I think they look at the team and the organization around them and they, they're assessing um, the wider 
groups around them, people around them, leaders around them, and expecting the same, or hoping, I guess, for the same kind of thing to be happening, that other people are growing, that other people are pushing the bar, that the leaders are setting the expectation, that the, the team is acting as that unit to go to a high-performing state. Um, you know, I, I think there's a, in the Stack Overflow annual survey that surveys a whole bunch of engineers, they say, you know, what's important to you in a role? And there's like top five, which are quite outstandingly represented as like the top five, and then it kind of drops off quite a lot. And I think usually the top one is growth um, for people's so individuals. I, I, th I think about it as the industry moves so quickly, uh, you know, there's always new stuff coming out. People are innovating new tools, new languages, new frameworks, all that kind of stuff. Um, you know, if, if you're not learning new things and growing, you're effectively going backwards. Uh, because if you're stagnant, you know, the, the industry is moving beyond you and you're staying still. Um, and so I think a lot of high-performing engineers are, are quite aware of that and are looking at their environment and going, how do I, is, is this moving in the right direction? Um, there's an interesting element I find though that, you know, as a, as a leader, you can uh, sometimes, or an organization even, can be nervous about their shortcomings. You know, like, oh, we're not very strong here. We don't pay market for here. We um, we've got this old legacy tech or whatever, right? I think um, the way over my career, I've interviewed a lot of engineers and I have these really great conversations. I think that most engineers, I think are quite um, understanding that organizations have all these problems. Like they have all these legacy part, they have these underperforming areas, they have all these things. Um, and I don't, I don't think any engineer comes into organization with, you know, with everything needs to be perfect. Um, but what I find is the critical element is not so much that you have these issues or challenges to deal with or things that work against maintaining great talent, um, but it, are you doing anything about them? So are, are you growing? Are you pushing and pushing the bar? Is your organization doing that? Are your leaders doing that? That I think is the measure that great engineers look at and go, if I can see people moving and improving in these areas and dealing with these shortcomings, then I can see that there's, maybe it's like a hope for the future thing. I don't know. It's like, I can see myself growing in this. I can see us moving forward. I can see us getting better and better and higher performance over time. Uh, I think that's the, so so in that sense, you know, we should be open about it. But I also, I also like to be a little bit um, aspirational with engineers to say, hey, this is where we are, but this is where we want to be. And let's figure out how to get to this point and keep going. Yeah, mm -hmm. And I think that sets a good, a great culture for those people. Totally. That, that should be the fun stuff in some ways, shouldn't it? Like I know like legacy technology who wants to like this, it can be unpleasant, right? Um, but it, like, that's why we're here, isn't it? Like that's what, that's our job that that should be, we should be aspiring to solve those problems. And that should be some of the fun stuff really. And just picking up from the point which Richard, you mentioned initially as well, um, and I completely agree with that uh, on, on the notes from performance as well. Um, I think continuously having that relationship and supporting them in spite of what their priorities are, because every individual will have different priorities. And it is difficult to have a generic rule against it. So constantly build a relation with them, engage with them, understand what individual's priorities are, and what can we offer as an organization and as a leader to support them in, in whatever phase they are going through. I think that that creates a, a trust between uh, between both the individuals as well as uh, 
you know, it, it creates an opportunity to to take that relation forward as well for a longer time. Yeah, I do agree with Argu there. And it's a great question, Rich. And I think it's um, more practical nowadays to think about that because market is very fluid and you don't really want to, you know, lose your high value team members where you put your blood and soul to create that team, high performing team. And that's something that I can completely relate to as well uh, in current situation. Um, but there are some other parameters which are beyond uh, a leader's control, for example. And that actually comes down, it needs to be pushed down from top to bottom rather than bottom to top. So if you see your organization, um, like HLT members leaving your organization and whatnot, it just gives you kind of a really negative impression around the whole situation, whether it's true or not, whether even though the organization is performing really well, but if you see your one-up manager or two-up manager just resigning all of a sudden, what sort of uh, impression or, I mean, even if you, as a team member, as a grassroots level, as an engineer, even if you don't think about those things, somehow I think it does impact uh, at, at an individual level. Uh, that doesn't really necessarily mean that those individuals will start looking for another opportunity, but that somehow impacts the morale of the entire team. And those are the stuff that, that are out of our control, for example. Um, and that's like a real challenge that I'm going through right now, that how do you actually then go ahead and protect your team from that influence from the top to bottom? That, you know, uh, they, you somehow need to pass on that message to the team that it just part and parcel of the restructuring and you know people moving on. That doesn't that should not impact every single layer um, bottom down. So that's another challenge that I'm facing. I don't know if anyone has any other good ideas around how to tackle that, but that's something I think it's probably beyond the control of any immediate leader or one up leader. If that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, ultimately people may may choose to leave despite a. Uh, you know what we might like to happen right um and if it happens in in our teams then you know learning from that and ap applying the sort of growth mindset and you know making sure to really understand that person's reasons for leaving like i think that's crucial because you know may maybe they got a better offer or maybe they've grown as you said before dan and they've got onto a great a great opportunity and that's fantastic but ma maybe there's something more right and we could be doing something about it i, I think if it's you know kind of above the team's position and that's happening like i would hope the organization would apply the same principle and say you know what can we learn from this and is there something going on here and be open and transparent about you know if there are problems um i, I don't think it benefits the team or particularly a high performing team to kind of sweep that stuff under the rug right we want to kind of bring it into the open and, and be upfront if there's an issue and most importantly address the issue and follow through on resolving it right um I think that goes to the sort of the front side of this where, you know, to retain people, you need to build that relationship. Well, it's not enough just to build the relationship. You need to follow through on, you know, giving people that trajectory within the organization to, to do great things and grow. If you don't follow through on it, well, you know, don't be surprised if people <laughs> choose to take, to take themselves elf, elsewhere, I guess. Um, yeah. Yeah. I always, I always think that uh, maybe to keep myself honest or keep myself on the ball, I always try to assume that everyone, every one of my team members 
being hit up by recruiters like you know five times a week or something like that you know uh i mean that and that's not far from reality in a lot of cases um and so it does mean that you i mean you're if you're the leader you're kind of in charge of making sure you've got all the formula there for great people to be engaged and grow and be happy um it is really difficult when elements outside the team like make that really hard um i've certainly been in that situation before i've i've felt the pain of being in a team that totally imploded uh in a very after a very very stressful project it was actually one of the best teams i've ever worked in and after the project had finished the whole team just went and just disappeared some left the organization went to different teams there was only like two people left out of 20 or something um so it you know that was you know i've also been in an organization where i've seen this is quite a interesting dynamic i think where if the company is going through change sometimes like i've seen a key innovator type leader um who the engineering teams really loved i guess and and seeing that person leave um and and a new at around the same time a new ceo came in and the narrative started changing you know over like what the company was doing or the what the leadership want where they wanted to take the company the direction the unfortunate thing i saw all around me were the the innovators the most the people who are really pushing the bar higher than anyone else they all left they're like the the canaries in the coal mine i guess right they're kind of like the first to leave they're kind of like they sense something's not right it's like oh we're going to this new direction no nah, i'm i'm out um and that i at the time that's the first time i'd seen that before and i was shocked at the time and i was just like i'm probably still emotional about it right they're like i'm like why there's got all these people who are like the best engineers i've ever seen or worked with you just like let them walk at the door like in what in what way would you want that to be the outcome or the result like why couldn't we do more to to retain people or try to help what their concerns were uh it can be really difficult i, th I think experiencing it not at that time i wasn't a leader at the time uh, experiencing it is quite upsetting i think as especially if you really love your team and you're in this really great place and if you're under a leader directly who's really made a great impact on the team and build an awesome team high performing you're like this is great i love going to work i love cutting code in this team we're like collaborating we're smashing it doing all these things to see it kind of threatened to implode is just really difficult and a really big challenge i think for leaders to try to respond to yeah it's like going through a bad breakup <laughs> <laughs> it is it is <laughs> and just to add completely i mean uh, great points today by both them richard um and and sagar i mean just to add to uh, this specific situation which you know which which it happens i mean the team generally for the external factors looks up looks up to the leaders i mean that's the direct point of interaction something outside the team is happening which may or may not affect the team uh, you or the leader who will be the first point of contact and and we have to be open and honest give share what what can be shared in those scenarios and and then be open about it so there is no dilemma or uh, a question in in the team's mind whether what's going to happen is it going to impact me so as long as we keep that open we build that uh, again relationship and the trust uh, i think they will still have I mean, external factors would have less impact um and and yes uh, like dan said I mean, some some things are out of your control Yeah, the one thought occurs to me. It was 
challenges a leader to hold that win-win-win situation, um, I guess, if things are changing around the team. Um, it can also have a danger of creating, um, like when I was a, <clears throat> a bit beginning in the leadership stakes, you know, I, I would very strongly lead my team and then kind of it's like carves out a different culture. You know, the, the team has its own culture that kind of starts to conflict with teams alongside of it. Um, that's I've learned is quite a dangerous thing. Uh, something to be handled with care, I think. Um, and yeah, it, it can threaten to do that sometimes. Sometimes when, when I've been a part of the shift, so I not, not through my fault, but I've been part of the leadership that's moving and it creates like this, uh, unstable environment for teams under you. Um, and in some situations, you know, it, it's, I, I think I've had to learn it over the years as a leader, like through some of those situations to learn how to navigate that well. And, you know, the first time probably, you know, I, I guess what I did was I kind of reflected on it and thought, you know what, I could do better. My, my manager at the time did give me feedback <clears throat> along the lines of what he was seeing, which was quite valuable. But at the time I couldn't see it as clearly until I had moved and I'm like, huh, now I can kind of learn and reflect from it and go, okay, next time I can probably create a slightly different culture environment, um, which kind of takes maybe a wider view uh, of the company and teams around me and work better with peers and do all that kind of stuff. That was really valuable feedback and I was able to, to learn from that. Um, but it's, it can be difficult sometimes when it happens and you maybe haven't gone through it before as a leader or, you know, there's always things that we're learning as well, you know, like high-performing teams is one thing and high-performing individuals, but it's like high-performing leadership, it's like this whole other thing, right? It's like mm. you can see things, study things, but there's like a learned experience that, you know, with feedback, sometimes through painful experiences um, and leadership, I guess, changes your view and even your interaction with other leaders, leaders above you, it kind of evolves and changes as you get more senior. Um, all those create really big challenges to kind of move through and grow through and try to get better at. I, I've certainly found that it's um, these kinds of examples are difficult to navigate. And I guess like, I, I guess I think about it at the time it's like, well, I can do the best that I can do at the time with the knowledge and skills I have at the time. And, and I'm just going to have to commit to get better um and try to just navigate as best as i can at the point in time that's great i mean that's that's a great example to set for the team right like that's kind of the same uh, mindset that you want in the team and um you know we all have like you said different levels of experience and the, the first first time for anything whether it's as a leader or as a team is going to be the most challenging one in all likelihood and you're going to learn from it um yeah it's a, a great summary Again, even more valuable insight there, guys. I think any anyone, I suppose, with any more strategies uh, for for retaining uh, high-performing team members, um, are are we uh, just about done on that? All right, we're good. All right, cool. <laughs> um, oh, look, there's some really really good, you know, questions I think raised by everyone. Um, and you know even better answers and even uh, counter questions as well with with more answers too so very valuable insight guys i i hope you all had a had a good time as well uh, discussing with each other and um, 
just uh, like to, I suppose, thank everyone for your time. Um, obviously, thanks for your time, Rich, uh, Sagar, Dan, and uh, Raghu. It's uh, been a pleasure having you guys on, and I'm sure we'll do it again soon.